means to tremble, waver, hesitate, or flounder. Uh, to hesitation is a sign of doubt, right? Let me know that if you hesitate to pull out, you have a doubt that if you should or not, right? And so hesitation is doubt. Uh, he who hesitates is lost. You can write that down. It's very profound. All right. Wavering means to be fickle. It means to be shifting or changeable. It means that you aren't solid on a thing. And God is calling his church to not waver, not to falter, but for us to be established and knowing the word of God, the promises of God. And this world wants us to take on their belief system that there are no absolutes, but God wants us to have absolute. He wants us to have resolve. He wants us to be sold out for him. Amen. And that means that there is nothing left for the devil. There's nothing left for the devil in our life. We are sold out. We have come to a resolve. We have come to a place that says that there is nothing in us for the enemy. Romans 12 and 1, God demands everything of us. He doesn't say, would you bring me a little bit? But he said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is a reasonable service. And do not be conformed unto this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of our what? Our minds, our mind, our will, our emotions. The Greek word is suke. Amen. In Romans verse 9, it tells us that we are to hate sin and to love God. It says, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor, giving preference one to another. Amen. Now, this fight is for life. It's not a game. It is a fight for keeps. And I think that we probably do, for the most part, love one another. But I think where we have a, a tendency to hold back is that we do not hate evil with the same level that we love God. And let me say to you tonight, you must not just dislike evil, but you must hate evil. It isn't something you, you, you dabble in. It's not something you play with. It's not something you pet on. But you hate it with the same level and intensity that you love God. And so Elijah had just killed, uh, just to bring you up to where we're going to be talking tonight, Elijah had just killed 450 prophets of Baal. He tells Ahab he better get off of the mountain because there's a great rain that is coming. And Elijah outruns Ahab's chariots, horses and chariots, 25 miles back to the city. And then Ahab goes and tells his wife what Elijah has done. Now, you must understand that one thing about this story, and this, that is this. That Ahab is the king, but he's not running things. Jezebel is running the country. Ahab is sitting on the throne, but Jezebel is running things. Uh-huh. 
So let's pick up here in 1 Kings chapter 19. Uh, that sounded familiar. 1 Kings chapter 19 in verse number 1. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, also how he had executed all the prophets that uh, with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah. Notice Jezebel then sent a messenger to Elijah. Notice that then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah. She didn't go on her own. So let So let the gods do to me and the more also if I do not make you make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. Jezebel is a person in this story, but it is giving us a picture here. Remember, we talked a lot about it, and I know that you all are biblical literate here tonight, but but just for the sake of people that may be watching or listening, Jezebel is a physical person in this story, but it is a picture of a spirit that outlives this physical person. And so Jezebel is a person in this story, but it gives us a picture of a spirit, and we're still dealing with that spirit today. In fact, you can find and realize that this is not just about an individual or a person because of the fact that, that she is represented here in the book of Kings, but you also hear about Jezebel in Revelation chapter 2, right? And so we know that this same, it cannot be this same person that lives, but it is a spirit that lives, now, let me also say that this spirit, how many have been raised up in the church? All right. And how many remember that, that they used to call somebody that put on makeup and jewelry a Jezebel? Right? That old Jezebel. You know. But this isn't talking about makeup and ear bobs. This isn't talking about jewelry. It isn't talking about the outward adorance. Because this spirit works not just in women, but it also works in men. The reason in which it is called and and talked about in the feminine gender is because it reproduces itself. Uh, It talks, and we'll deal with this in a later message, but it deals with the children of Jezebel. And so it produces, it has offspring that runs from generation to generation. And it is put in force and brought into the earth to destroy authority. It wants to take authority. Uh, We are not talking here again about gender. We are dealing with a spirit. She is never in the forefront. As I pointed out and we re-read a couple of times just to, to observe She sends a messenger. She does not send or go herself. The spirit Jezebel never comes to the forefront and confronts you yourself. It will always send a messenger. It'll sound something like this. They said, we think, somebody said, a lot of people think, 
It's Jezebel at work. The nature of Jezebel is to carry gossip. I heard. They said. They said it. And when they say it, what this is doing is all of this negative stuff that is being brought to you by a messenger. Could it be the same messenger that came to Paul? Could it be the same messenger that come to bring uh, discouragement to Paul? It's this messenger that comes, and when he comes, or she comes, the spirit comes, it comes to bring discouraged words, to make you feel as though that there is a whole lot against you and no one is for you, to make you feel as though you might as well quit and give up because there's no way out of this situation. Amen? And so it is meant to bring discouragement, and it is also meant to bring division. It's the old method of divide and conquer. If we can divide us, then they can conquer us. Come on, somebody. Talk to me in here tonight. Amen? If the enemy, if this spirit can get me and Pastor Jack to feel as though that we're at odds with one another, then that spirit can divide us and can take us out. But how many know as long as Pastor Jack and I are standing in unity, this spirit cannot destroy us? Because where there is unity, there is a commanded blessing. And where the commanded blessing is, the spirits of the age cannot destroy nor take away. Glory to God. And so it comes to divide and to conquer. So that the spirit can sow seed of doubt and fear and bring you into a place of depression. And so don't be a carrier of gossip. When, when you, I know we talked about this last week, the spirit of Cain, the spirit of murder. But when you do the work of the flesh, you will also reap the works of the flesh. And so if someone talks to you about someone else, listen to me. I promise you that they'll talk about you to someone when you're not around. It is true. Why? Because it's a spirit. And this spirit of gossip, this spirit of murder carries with it sickness, infirmity, disease. It opens your life up to spiritual attacks. Because when you do, you're entertaining these demonic spirits that have come to set themselves against the church. And it brings with it, where did sickness come from? Where does disease come from? Where does any, the tax of hell come from? They don't come from God. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above, right? But it is from the enemy. And so when we begin to give in to this spirit of Cain, this spirit of murder, we give in to gossip. We listen to the deceitful words of a messenger. It is them that the enemy will attack us. And if the devil can get into your home, he'll make uh, uh, you make uh, that and allow him to work there. Then he is going to destroy it. But you've got to, you say, well, you know, Grandma Matthews, I was down there and, and when I was going to college and I stayed with her a little bit before I went on over to college. And, and, uh, and Grandma, she was, uh, you know, a widow and, and she lived by herself and she was there in northeastern Louisiana and it was hotter than the blue blazons in the middle of the night. 
and grandma was too tight or didn't have the money. I don't know which, but she wouldn't run the air conditioner. And so I thought I'd open up the door with the windows and get some air. And she had the windows nailed shut. I said, Grandma, said, how in the world are you going to breathe? I said, she said, said, told me, she said, well, said, you don't know. Thieves are all over the place. You don't know when someone will try to break in. I said, Grandma, if somebody wants in this house, they can get in this house. And she looked at me and she said, honey, child, you don't have to make it easy on them. You don't have to make it easy on the devil to get in your house. You don't have to make it easy on the enemy to get up in your life. Amen. If he gets there, make him work for it. Amen. The spirit of gossip carries with it this sickness and disease. And if the devil can get in your house, then he is going to bring destruction there. We need to put, don't have to put out a welcome sign in the front yard by going around and listening to every lie and every tactic and believing everything that this messenger sends to us. But we need to speak the word of God and make it difficult on him to get into our lives. Amen. Verse four, he said, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom or a juniper tree. And he prayed that he might die and said, it, it, is it enough? Now, Lord, take my life for I am no better than my father's. Wow. What a change. What a difference. Here he is, just beat down 450 prophets of Baal. Here he is, just uh, conquered and defeated all of these people. And now he's hiding out underneath the Jupiter tree, crying around, asking God, won't you just let me die? Now, Somebody may say, well, he didn't have much, did he? Well, let me ask you a question. When was the last time you prayed down fire from heaven? Come on. He had something. But he is also up against something. Come on. He was up against something here that was more than just a, 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 a religious spirit or a Sunday morning thing, but he's dealing with something here that, that is the spirit of Jezebel that has taken him from the place of great victory to a place of great and utter depression. Can I tell you, and you write it down somewhere and remember it, the, after your greatest victory comes your greatest battle. After your greatest victory comes your greatest battle. Yes, go ahead and celebrate your success, celebrate your victory, but you better prepare yourself and steady yourself because after every major victory is going to come a major battle to try to take you back down the mountain and put you underneath a juniper tree begging God for your life to be taken from you. Amen. But you've got to resist the temptation to isolate yourself from others in times of spiritual battle. Did you just hear what I said? Resist the temptation because you will be tempted to withdraw. 
You will be tempted to take and, and go and hide out in a cave or hide out underneath a tree somewhere because it is in this time of battle that this Jezebel spirit will speak depression into your life and you'll run and you'll hide yourself and you'll find yourself isolated and then you'll begin to believe the lies that the messenger has brought. There's more for against you than there are for you. You, you know, you might as well die. You're not going to make it. You're not going to have victory in this situation. Amen. He goes a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat underneath this Jupiter, juniper tree. And he prays that he might die and said, it, it's not, isn't it enough? And, and all this, all depression is not because of a Jezebel spirit. But when you're in battle, it will try to depress you. I'm not, I'm not talking to you out of, out of some theory. I'm talking to you out of life's learned lessons. I know firsthand the hell of fighting Jezebel. I know it. And when you take it on, you better be ready for a fight. God is greater than any spirit and any enemy. But the spirits that we're dealing with, this spirit here is the greatest one that is in the church. It's the greatest one that is operating in homes. It's operating in people's lives. It's operating in the workplace. And, and we're just laying a foundation here tonight. But you better be ready to fight, buddy, whenever you grab hold of it. Because it will try to bring you down and bring a spirit of depression on you that will try to take you out. Amen. With God's grace, we are victorious. I said, with God's grace, we are victorious. But whenever you fight against this kind of thing, you've got to know that it's not by your own might or your own power, but you're coming against it in the name of the Lord of hosts. Amen. This is the same man that just prayed a prayer and God answered him with fire. And now he's laying down praying to die. Amen. Notice after this, this great victory, as I said, comes this great battle and no one, no, no, that, uh, this, that great men of God always come under attack of hell in their life. If you're ever going to try to do anything for God, I say men, understand ladies, I'm not talking about gender tonight. I'm talking about mankind. Whenever you take a stand for righteousness, when you take a stand for what is right, you're going to come under an attack of hell. Hell knows that he just uh, put a move on him. And if he doesn't try to move quickly to bring you back down, then he's going to lose a foothold in that thing. And so he's got to fight with everything that he has to try to bring you down as quickly as he can. Amen. And so we have to understand this. He just went up against these 450 prophets of Baal, the satanic priest who ate at Jezebel's table in 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 19. They were the most powerful. They were the most uh, demonized individuals that the hell had ever produced. 
And so what pressure overwhelmed this great man of God, what came over him was a spirit of fear and discouragement, and it was a spirit of Jezebel. Now in, in verse 5 here, it says, Then as he lay and, and slept under the juniper tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said unto him, Rise and eat. And then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is uh, too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night in the, the, that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? So he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel, for have forsaken your covenant, tore down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Isn't that terrible? Amen. Notice with me here a couple of things. Number one, the angel comes and wakes him up the first time, feeds him, and the joker goes back to sleep. How many know that ain't normal? How many has ever seen a depressed person? All they want to do is sleep, right? If you've ever dealt with it, you just want to cover your head, you want to you know, forget everything, you want to you block everything out, and, and that's what's happened here to Elijah. He isn't tired. He's been laying around all this time. But the Bible says that he goes on the strength of that meat for 40 days and 40 nights. Notice that it's the meat of the word of God that's going to sustain you. Amen. You've got to get in the meat of the word of God because it is that meat that is going to cause you to go through some desert places, some dry places, some difficult situations. But it's the meat of the word of God that you're going to be able to digest. Like David said, I'm going to hide that word in my heart that I will not sin against God. And so it is that meat of the word that we need tonight. Because if we live to see tomorrow, we will deal with enemies. We will have situations that we're going to have to confront, contend, and deal with. And so we need the meat of the Word of God to go through those desert drought places and be able to sustain us. But even through that miracle of the meat uh, that was sent to him for 40 days, he would go upon it. And now he's still laying up here fighting this spirit of depression and all he has already bought into the lies that the messenger has brought him. Are you with me? He was speaking faith up on the mountain. Not only was he speaking faith, he was bold. He looked at him and said, maybe your God's on vacation. Maybe you need to holler a little louder. 
they're there cutting themselves and doing all of these things and trying to get something worked up. And he, he's snubbing his nose at them and, and talking down to them about their God. This is the same man that now he's come off of this mountain. He's dealing with this Jezebel spirit. Amen. And, and notice, I, I just want to put this right here and we'll probably deal with it later. But notice where he made his mistake was this, that in the beginning when we first read it, Jezebel sent a messenger and said, if, if, to, uh, so let the God do unto me even, even more if I do not do to you in your life as long as, as one of them by this time tomorrow. Can I tell you, I'm not blaming Elijah, he's, at, he's dealing with the spirit, okay? But I want to show you something. If he would have set his sundial and said, all right, Miss Jezebel, but I want you to know that when this time comes around tomorrow, if I'm not dead, I'm coming after you. Because you cannot... You cannot ignore this spirit and it go away. You can't run from this spirit and go away. You must confront this spirit. Amen. You must deal with this spirit. And when he chose to run from it instead of stand and deal with it, this spirit started working in his life. Amen. And it began to put a spirit of fear upon him, a spirit of depression upon him, that at one moment he's laughing and taunting these false prophets and, and kills all of them. And now he is run off of the mountain. He is running for his life. And now this spirit of fear and depression has ate him up. Now he's, his testimony is this. God, I've went after you, but the children of Israel, they've all forsaken you. They've forsaken your covenants. They've torn down the altars, and they've killed all of your prophets, and I'm the only one praising you. I'm the only one serving you today. Has the enemy ever made you feel that way? I'm the only Christian in my family. I'm the only one trying to serve the Lord. I'm the only one at work that loves God. I'm the only one left. God is sending him angels to feed him, and he's saying, I'm a nobody. How many thinks if God sends you angels to feed you, he, he, he's got you in mind. He, he kind of likes you. Huh? <laughs> He, he's sending him angels. But he buys into this lie of the spirit that comes to discourage him. The devil will always try to get you to think that there are more than there really are. He says, all of them have forsaken you. They've torn down all of your altars. And there's nobody that's serving you but me. All. That's the same spirit that we find in Numbers chapter 13. And verse 30, whenever the children of Israel was to go into the land of promise. You remember that? 
Let me read it to you in verse 30. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go at once into the and possess the land, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up in with him said, We're not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we, and they have child, the children of, of Israel a bad report for the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone and spied is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all whom people whom we have saw in, in it were men of great stature. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Achan came from the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in their own sight, so we were in their sight. Notice he said, they're all giants. Now how many know by studying the word, that's a lie. There were giants in the mountains, but all of them weren't giants. But whenever that spirit got on them, they began to see everything in a negative light. And they seen themselves and they said, we're like grasshoppers, so we must be grasshoppers. Amen. All of the people in the land weren't giants. There were giants, but not all of them were. But these lying reports were believed by the children of Israel and fear came upon them and fear produced doubt in what God had spoken to them and they were unable to go in and possess the land. That's what this spirit comes to do. It comes to produce fear in your hearts, fear in the body of Christ until we come to church, believers come to church, but we have no faith in the God we say we serve. Amen. No faith, but all fear. Overcome by this spirit of fear. Yes, I prayed and I've been praying for six weeks or six months and it hasn't happened. And so God must know that that's a lie. Amen. God honors his word. He watches over and hastens to perform it. That's the word of the Lord. Amen. The word of the Lord says he wants us blessed. He wants us whole. He wants us to succeed. He wants us to have victory. And so when this, the, these doubts come, when this fear comes, it comes to produce doubt and doubt produces unbelief and God cannot work in unbelief. Amen. Jesus did not many works in his hometown. Why? Because of their unbelief. And so when this doubt and fear begins to produce in the body of Christ, then we have a bunch of folks come to church but have no power, have no experience, don't feel his power, don't feel his anointing, don't experience his grace. And so their lives are not transformed and changed. And so the Jezebel spirit sits there and laughs at a group of people that just gathers together and has a form of godliness but doesn't have no power. I mean, no, Jezebel didn't go after Elijah when he was climbing up that mountain. He didn't go after Elijah whenever he was sitting over there taunting them. But the moment that he began to perform the power of God is the moment that Jezebel began to run after him. Can I tell you that, the, that 
the devil doesn't care about us talking about getting folks saved and talking about advancing the kingdom of God and talking about building God's kingdom and, and seeing people delivered and set free and, and the glory of God covering the earth as the waters cover the sea. He doesn't care about that. But the moment that we begin to exercise that authority and the moment people's lives begin to be changed, the moment that we begin to establish the kingdom of God within the earth, I declare to you that is the moment that the attacks begin to come from Jezebel to try to silence the prophet of God. Amen. And so we have to understand this, that if we're going to do something for the kingdom, we will be and we will have battles. Amen. This is the same place that Elijah found himself believing a lie that hell has sent him. I'm the only one left. Has the devil ever caused you to believe that you were the only one? That you were by yourself? That no one else understood what you were going through? That no one else cared about you? You and I need to understand at that a moment that we are under an attack of hell. We need to understand at that moment that the devil is a liar. Amen. He was spiritually unaware. He goes to the very place that God showed himself to Moses, Beersheba. Amen. And in verse 11, then he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind and after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. So it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And suddenly a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing in this depression? What are you doing hiding in this cave? In the same place that God spoke to Moses. is the same place that this man of God is now hiding from God. What a try. A change. What a contrast. One God speaks to, the other one is hiding from God, but God shows up. And I submit to you, it says that he wasn't in the wind, but I submit to you, he was in the wind, but he could not hear him in the wind. I submit to you, he was in the fire, but he could not hear him in the fire. I submit to you, he was there in the earthquake, but he could not hear him in the earthquake. But the wind had to come and blow some things out and the fire had to purge some things and the earthquake shook what could be shaken so that that could not be shaken should remain. And after God got finished with what he needed in this process of Elijah's life, he could speak quietly to him and he could hear a still small voice. When you're under an attack, you can't hear God's voice. So whenever you're under an attack, God can be yelling, but you can't hear him. And he has to bring us to a place 
to where he can cleanse our heart, where he can cleanse our mind, where he can cleanse our soul so that he can whisper to us ever so clearly and we can begin to understand that he is still God. Amen. That he is the one that has given us victory time and time again. And because he has done it before, he is still doing it now. And he has to remove those things so that we understand that no matter where we are in this process of life, he's still God. Amen. He said, God passed by, but I didn't hear him. I didn't see him. I didn't feel him. But it was in that still, small voice that he spoke to me and I heard him. And when I heard him, he said, what are you doing here? Some God times God has to send the earthquake, he has to send the wind, he has to send the fire so we can hear him speak in that still small voice. Notice with me in verse 15, then the Lord said to him, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, well, excuse me, let me, let me flip over here and make sure I'm getting everything I need to get. Yeah. Said in verse 14, they've forsaken your covenant, they've torn down your altars, they've killed your prophets with the sword, and I alone am left, and they seek to take my life too. Watch this. In verse 15, he said, Lord said, okay. Then the Lord said to him, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, anoint Haziel as king over Syria. Also, you shall anoint Jehu, the son of uh, Nimshi, as king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Saphat, uh, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. Amen. In your place. Let me just give you this description. Uh, it's a bit lengthy. You may not be able to write it down tonight, but I'm, I'm going to probably talk, tell you it over and over. Jezebel is a spirit that hates authority. It seeks out the young, the naive, the simple, the inexperienced, and the gullible to operate in and through. It's about manipulation and domination. It's about controlling the spirit that has is allowed to seduce because of weak leadership, Ahab. Amen. And it detests strong leadership. And when cornered, it begins to whimper, whine, and gather sympathizers with it because it doesn't have the nerve to stand alone or speak for itself. It always seeks out someone to speak for it. It can only be broken by a Jehu, a strong leader that refuses to be swayed by her seduction, but will put under uh, its authority. Will put it under its authority. This is what happens here. If you'll allow me to just tonight, God comes to him, finds him here. He speaks to him. He does all of this process in his life. Elijah, Elisha says, 
to him. He says, uh, I'm the only one left. They're about to kill me. And, and God says, what are you doing here? And he gives him this sad report. And God says, okay, I realize you're not going to do the job that I gave you the authority to do. So since you're not going to use this authority, I'm going to have you to anoint three people. Notice it took three people to do what one man had the authority to do in the first place. He said, I gave you the authority to be the king of Syria, the king of, of, of Israel, and I also uh, gave you authority to be a prophet. But if you're not going to operate in that place of authority, then he said, I want you to anoint. He didn't say, I'm going to anoint. He said, I want you to anoint Haziel, king of Syria. I want you to also anoint Jehu as king of Israel. And then I want you to anoint Elisha as a prophet. How many know that God gave Elijah the authority and the anointing to operate in these three areas? He gave him the anointing and authority to be the king over Syria, king over Israel, and operate in the gift of a prophet. But when God realized that this Jezebel spirit had come and taken that authority uh, that caused him to go into a wilderness, he said, I'm going to take that authority and give it to somebody else that will stand up. And God gave him them that authority and the same anointing, the same authority that Elisha had, amen, Jehu stood up with that authority and destroyed this spirit. Elijah ruled with authority that Elijah would not stand in. The Spirit is after the authority. And that's the reason why that when a weak Ahab is in authority, the Jezebel runs into a thing and begins to manipulate and operate until it begins to steal the authority, because when you are in a place of position, when you, whenever, whatever that is, that position of authority, if it's in the family, if it's in the workplace, if it's in the church, if you don't stand in that place of authority, it, it gives that authority over to somebody who will stand in it. And so whenever a righteous man or a righteous woman will not stand in that authority, then a Jezebel spirit will come in and take that authority and begin to manipulate and twist it and turn it around, not for a godly authority, but to destroy and to tear down and to control and dominate. And church after church is controlled by a spirit of Jezebel. Amen. Beat down and the anointing of God is not flowing because a Jezebel spirit is controlling the house that should be God's. But because authority is not standing in that place that the spirit has come and begin to manipulate and it works and it intertwines through people and it works through things and it, and it begins to get to that place and takes that authority that is not being used and begins to manipulate it to do the work of hell. 
So what we do we do? We recognize that spirit. We talked about the twisting spirit of, of Leviathan. We've talked about the, the strangling spirit of the python. We've talked about the, the uh, murderous spirit, right, of Abel or Cain and how that they come. But I want you to know that this Jezebel spirit takes and dominates all of that and brings it to a place where that if you don't stand in that authority, then it will begin to take that authority and work it against you. And Jezebel spirit hates authority. That's the reason why some people have blessed God. I ain't listening to nobody. Jezebel. Amen. Ain't nobody going to tell me what to do. Jezebel. That's right. This spirit, well, bless God who they think they are. They put their pants on the same way I do. That's right. But Jezebel, God has placed them in authority and not you. Amen. And so if we don't stand in that authority then that authority will be manipulated by a spirit of Jezebel and will control and dominate. I know I, I've been there, I've seen it, and I've had to deal with it and by God's grace conquered it. Amen. But I'm telling you that if you don't stand up to it and deal with it, it will begin to manipulate and it'll kill the body of Christ and the flow of God will not move where a manipulative operating spirit is in the church. God honors authority. He places us in authority. He gives us delegated authority. And what we have to do is stand in it. Amen. You see, Jezebel got what she wanted. She didn't want his, his body. She wanted his authority. And now whenever his authority is taken, that's, that's what, you know, these young whippersnappers don't think about is, you know, I got a big belly and don't have no hair now. But I remember growing up and somebody gave me some, Advice, you know, somebody, mom and them brought a, a picture of me whenever I was about 15 or 16 years old. And, and uh, I tell Jordan all the time, I, he can't keep up with me at the gym anyways. But I tell him, I said, whenever I was your age, I said, I'd take uh, two 50-pound uh, bales of hay or whatever they were. And I said, I'd sling them both in the hayloft at the same time. I said, oh, you didn't. They brought a picture the other day. He couldn't believe that was me. Time has a way of changing things. <clears throat> but what I'm telling you is this. I, I said all that, and I don't know really why I said all that. Only to say this. People think that people are drawn to you because you all of that. People are not drawn to you because you're all of that. People are drawn to you because of the anointing and the authority that God has placed in your life. And if you're not careful and guard and protect it, I know people will think you're arrogant. People will call you this, that, and the other. They, they call me that all the time. I'm stuck up. I'm this, I'm that. I, you, you know, people can say all they want to, but it's not about that. It's about the anointing of God. And, and I, 
I want to tell you tonight that the anointing of God is precious. The authority of God is precious and we have to guard and protect it and don't allow some manipulative, manipulative Jezebel spirit to come out and snuff the anointing and the authority God has placed within you and honored you with. You can't allow that to happen. You've got to stand up to that thing. And you've got to speak to it and you've got to bring death to it. Amen. Besides, he says, look, he tells him, he says, I want you to go anoint these three people to do what I anointed you to do. I've given you the authority to do it, but if you don't want to do it, he said, I'll anoint these men. I know Jehu will do it. I know that Haziel will do it. I know that Elisha will do it. And he placed that anointing upon them. And then he said, and besides that, I just want you to know, I've got 7,000 men that have never bowed their knee to Baal. You ain't the only one. Amen. You're not the only one. There's others. There's others that are serving me, that are worshiping me. But this spirit wants to come and tell us, you're nothing. You're nobody. You're all by yourself. Nobody understands. Nobody's worshiping. Nobody can figure it out. And, and But the reality is, my brothers and sisters, there's other people walking in that same path you and I are walking down. Yes. Tell your neighbor, don't give in to that spirit. Don't believe that lie. Don't receive that gossip. Don't listen to that devil that's lying to you. In his lowest state, watch this. In his lowest state, when he's ready to die, he says, I'm the only one left. But watch this. In his lowest state of discouragement and fear, he still has enough anointing to transfer to two kings and one prophet. In his lowest state, when he's ready to give up and die, he still has enough anointing and authority to transfer to two kings and a prophet that will operate in the authority that God gave him. In closing tonight, I may have shared this with you before, but I think it's worth repeating. Reinhard Bonnke. I mean, know him, heard of him, great man of God, preaches all over Africa, goes into Nigeria and preaches to hundreds of thousands of people. And God spoke to Reinhardt and told him, he said, Africa shall be saved. And he said, I want to use you to do it. And Reinhardt said, God, I, and gave all these excuses why he couldn't. told God, you know, all of these things, he couldn't do it. And he said that God, ever so gently, the Holy Spirit spoke back to him and said, that's okay. If you don't want to do it, he said, I'll find somebody else. And he told Ryan Hart, he said, you weren't my first choice anyways. He said, I've asked others and they refused as well. Ryan Hart said, my heart broke. I fell on my face. And asked God to forgive me and said, God, if you will give me the anointing and authority, you will not have to look for another. 
I'm not all of that. But I do know that God has given me a place. And I want to say to him by his grace, if you'll give me the anointing and authority, you won't have to look for another. Here I am. Use me. Amen. And that ought to be our prayer tonight. Amen. That ought to be our prayer. You may feel like, well, pastor, my my role is insignificant. No, it's not. God has called you. He has anointed you. He has gifted you for a specific place and a specific task. And there is no call greater than the call that God has placed upon your life. You cannot get a promotion greater than the call of God. Listen to me, and I know I said I was going to close, but listen to me. If you are called in your authority and your anointing is to serve in the nursery, people say that's insignificant. No, it's not. That's ministry. And whenever you minister to those children, their parents can hear the gospel so their lives can be changed. And that child gets to grow up in a loving, God-fearing home and hear the gospel. And now you've not just helped take care of a baby, you've set a family free by them able to hear the gospel. But listen, they may think, well, that's insignificant. No, you cannot. If you're called and anointed to serve in the nursery, then, then you come into the pulpit that ain't no promotion. Amen. You can't get no, you know, reward out of that. Just because people don't see you doesn't, is it, doesn't mean it's not rewarding. Are you with me? But when I walk in that authority, I've been asked to do a lot of things in the church. I don't think there's nothing that I haven't done in the church. I've done a lot of stuff because I was asked to. I haven't been always been pastor. <laughs> and I, I've done a lot of stuff, even after I was pastor, that I didn't enjoy. But one thing I know I'm called to do, and I have authority and gifting to do it, and that's to preach the gospel. Amen? And listen to me. It isn't, is, this, there's nothing else is rewarding to me. Is it always fun? No. Do I always enjoy it? No. Do I have to deal with stuff that I don't want to do? Yes. But there is nothing more rewarding to me than sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because that's where my authority is and that's where I'm gifted at. And that's what I want to say to you tonight. Where you've been given authority and where you're gifted to serve, there is no promotion greater than that. And whenever you serve in that place with authority and with dominion, guess what? You may not ever be seen by men, but if you're faithful in that authority and faithful in that anointing, you'll receive the same reward that I receive. Or somebody else receives that everybody sees every week. Why? Because you've been faithful in the authority that you have been given.